0: Realize that with the uh, the screen there now, I can't just stand here until it's over. I should probably wait till the video's done. Well, um, happy Palm Sunday, everyone! I'm so excited to get into the Word with you today. Uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I felt God had put a word on my heart for this specific Sunday, um, and that there was really something He was leading me to. And I believe it, and I hope, and I pray that as we Go into the Word today that you hear something that gives you a new perspective on Palm Sunday. Because a lot of us hear Palm Sunday, we think King Jesus rode into Jerusalem. They they wave the palm branches. You know, we we know the story. And we, we know that they were kind of missing the point that Jesus was there to die for them and that he wasn't the conquering king. But I think there's even more depth here that sometimes we even miss that will give us a richer understanding of what was happening here. So we're going to read the story today primarily from the book of Luke and then I'm going to have a short excerpt from the book of Matthew. So open your Bibles with me. You can get out the Bible app um, and, and follow along with us as we read from Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. Someone mentioned to me the other other day, they're like, I still use the hard copy Bible and you need to give me a chance to turn my Bible there. So I said, but then there's like this pregnant silence where we just kind of wait. So uh, hopefully you're quick on your your Bible draw. Luke 19, chapter chapter 19, verse 28. It says this. So after telling the story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here, and if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said, and sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. By the way, this is not an okay to just steal something and say, the Lord needs it, okay? This was, we need to just clarify that. Um, I don't think it'll work most of the time, too. That was a specific moment Jesus told them to do. So so they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Hosanna! Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. And then for Matthew 21, it concludes the story with this. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So Jesus takes this donkey. We've talked about over the last couple, couple weeks several times how, uh, Jesus would daily on this Passion Week come over the Mount of Olives from Bethany and down into Jerusalem. And on this particular trip, he had them grab a donkey for him and he began to ride the donkey. And as he rode the donkey, people are cheering and it's this crowd that begins to grow in, 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 excitement and this buzz and jesus goes first century viral like people it it just explodes there's a crowd it's a mob he is suddenly trending and uh and there's something about viral things on, on the internet right there there's like um, videos and songs and things like that the reason they're viral is not because of the thing itself because you often don't know what it is till you watch it right it's the curiosity of the thing it's you hear word about it you hear rumors and it suddenly builds right same thing with jesus there's this buzz starting there's this growth and jesus uh just goes viral i made a i made a video i put on youtube a few years back that went viral i had like 50 views after a couple of weeks <laughs> and it was crazy because every time i hit refresh there was another view that would show up and i was like i am blowing up it was really exciting so um But people are coming around because they're curious. They're coming around because they're excited. They've heard stories. They've heard all these things. And so this swelling crowd gathers around Jesus and they start to take off their coats and lay them down on the road in front of Jesus as he's going along. And this wasn't like a bizarre act. People didn't see that and be like, gross, what are you doing? That's really weird. This was actually a cultural thing. If you read in the book of 2 Kings, there was a, a king named Jehu that came along. He was the one that actually finally overthrew what was going on with Jezebel and things like that. And when he became king he let everybody know by the way i'm king do you know what they all did they took off their jackets and laid it down in front of them and they made a red carpet for the king and so when a king comes through when a king is announced everybody takes off their jackets their coats their cloaks and they lay them down and for him to walk over and so this was what was going on and so um when we read this you might have noticed in the text there i put a bracket around the word hosanna i put a bracket around it because in luke's gospel he's the only gospel to not use the word hosanna Which um, I think there's good reason for. Luke was a doctor and he had done all kinds of research to write his gospel. He had collected information from Mark and different things. And when he wrote his gospel, he was writing to a community that was not Jewish. And the word Hosanna is a Hebrew word. And so he was going, this is probably going to be a little confusing for them. So he kind of just took that word and omitted it. But in the other gospels, it opens with Hosanna. And this word Hosanna actually isn't a, a word. It's it's like slang that they had. It was actually a mashup of words. It was um, kind of an actual kind of a, a transliteration of two Hebrew words. Um, one was y- yashay, which is um, means to save or to deliver, and the other is na, which means please. I beseech you. And so it's an interesting word because it's both a cry for deliverance. I beseech you, but it's also a cry of worship. So it's like begging for help, but it's also a cry of worship. So if you were to boil the whole thing down, it would really kind of mean, to we beg you to save us, our Deliverer. And so they're yelling, we beg you to save us, our Deliverer. They're shouting, Hosanna. And this is a statement whose context is going to have a lot more weight as we unpack it in just a few moments. So on the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, it wasn't just an accident the day He came in. Why didn't He come in on a Tuesday? Come in on Taco Tuesday or come in on Monday or something, you know? Like, why did Jesus come in on Sunday? Um, I've come to realize that God doesn't do things just because. It's not just like an accident. Like, God's like, oh, it turned out it was Sunday we came and did this, you know? There was significance to this, and we're going to break it down, okay? So, last Sunday, we took communion together, and Pastor Ty talked about Passover. Do you remember that? We talked about the Passover and, and uh, what it meant. and and uh, And so what happened was 1,300 years even before Jesus, the first Passover happened. The Israelites were in captivity in Egypt. We know the story. And that death is coming to Egypt. Even the Israelites were not going to be spared from the death that was coming for them. And so, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter the merit of your innocence or your guilt, it's not considered, your faith, your creed, um, it doesn't matter if you're the victim or the abuser, it doesn't matter if you're the captive or the captor, it was completely impartial, death was coming. And only the peoples whose homes were marked with the blood of a lamb would be spared. And this is really interesting because if the Egyptians, sometimes I don't consider this, if the Egyptians had done the very same thing, they would have been saved. It's not something that the Jews were just supposed to do to save themselves. Anyone who put the blood over the doorposts would be saved. The only criteria for salvation is the blood of a lamb over your doorway. And then the death angel passes over and the result is so devastating to those that don't obey that uh, it, it brings the nation to its knees and Pharaoh says, get out. And they're able to escape and they flee into the desert across the red sea and into the desert and they go down to Sinai and it's at Sinai that God meets with Moses and he gives him the law. Now when God gives the law to Moses, he doesn't just give him the 10 commandments. That would be a really short pentateuch that we have there if God was like here's the 10 commandments, you're good. He gave them a lot of information. He told them how they're supposed to live among one another, how they're supposed to treat foreigners, how they're supposed to worship, how they're supposed to build the tabernacle, how they're supposed to have sacrifices. God broke down basically how their entire cultural identity would be as he gave the law to Moses. And so he breaks all this down. And within this, in the book of Exodus chapter 12, he explains that the Passover is not a one-time event. But this is something, year after year, you need to celebrate and look back at how I delivered you from Egypt. And when you put the blood over your doorpost, death passed you over. Pass over. And so in Exodus chapter 12, here's the, here's the directives that God gives. In, starting at in verse 3, God says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. So God actually resets the entire calendar. He gives them the Jewish calendar at this moment. And he says, on this month, on the 10th day, you are to go and select your lamb as a family. Do they take that lamb and then kill it? No, they take that lamb and they take it home and it lives with them for the next four days. So it continues on in verse six. He says, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So this 10th day of the first month when they, have the, when they select the lamb was called Lamb Selection Day. I don't know how they came up with it, but that's what they named it. Lamb selection day. And the family was to select this lamb on the 10th day of the month and bring it into their home and care for it until Passover, which was four days later when the actual slaughter was to be done. Jesus rode into Jerusalem four days before Passover. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on lamb selection day, on lamb selection Sunday. Jesus comes in and on this day that we call Palm Sunday and as Protestants, the people that day saw Jesus riding in on a donkey on their lamb selection day, the day they're picking out their lamb and they see Jesus coming in on a donkey and they go, Hosanna, save us! Save us! You are! You need to save us, you need to rescue us, Savior, come! And they they started shouting this and the crowds may not have realized it in the moment, but they were selecting their Passover lamb that day at that moment. And the Jewish rabbis actually continue on an oral tradition. It's called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah, oh, it blew my mind as I was reading this. I actually was reading non-religious documents about when the Mishnah was, was created. And do you know when it was created? 30 BCE in the area of Judea. You think about how much... Politically and how much religion stuff was going on, right how it was a hotbed of, of discussion and and these different teachers coming together, so this Mishnah which was oral tradition passed down because paper was really hard to come by and the internet was still a few years off. And so to pass on information to other people, you had to have an oral tradition. And so this Mishnah was an oral tradition. It was actually called the Oral Torah, which was within it then contained different books, just like our Bible has different books of the Bible. And so within this Mishnah, there was a book specifically, it was called, oh, and I'm going to butcher this name. I'm not good at Hebrew names, but it was called the Pesachim or the Order of Festivals. And it gave directions beyond just what the first five books of the Bible are about how they were to enact their different festivals. Specifically, this one is talking about Passover. And so this has rules about how you're supposed to do this. And I actually came across an exposition that cited research that was done by a guy named Hayam uh, M- uh, Maccabee that was published uh, to the Cambridge University Press regarding how Passover sacrifices were to be observed and, and how that related then to Jesus, the Passover lamb. So... So this Mishnah dating back to first century Judea, I'm going to read it verbatim what this, what this author said because I don't want to mess it up. But catch what's going on here. Jesus comes in on Lamb Selection Sunday, on Palm Sunday, right? Here's what the Mishnah says about what's to occur on the 14th day, on the day of, of Passover. The lambs were killed and their blood applied to the altar in an old-fashioned fireline style. Lines of priests stood ready with gold and silver basins for passing the blood to the altar. Again, we turn to the Mishnah for the details. This is a direct quote. An Israelite slaughters the Passover lamb and a priest received the blood, hands it to his fellow and his fellow to his fellow, each one receiving a a full basin and handing it back an empty one. And the priest nearest the altar tosses the blood in a single act. The Passover lambs were killed in three consecutive waves and while the slaughter was being performed the Levites in the temple chanted the Psalms 113 to 118 the same hallel in which Yeshua and his disciples would have sung the night before When the ninth hour arrived a long blast of the shofar signaled the Levites be, signaled the Levites and they began their chanting of the hallel The gates to the inner court were opened, and the first crowd of Israelites with their lambs ready ready, rushed in, and within minutes the clean and spotless courtyard around the altar was stained red with blood. Gutters flowed with red, the base of the altar seemed to bleed, even gush forth as basin after basin of blood was splashed again in quick succession. The dead lambs were hung on hooks, forearms spread in a crucifixion pose as they were skinned and prepared for roasting. The Levites continued chanting the Hallel. The sound of their voices joined by the voices of the thousands of pilgrims who had gathered at the temple, filled the entire city of Jerusalem. Indeed, they were heard outside the walls a short distance away where Yeshua had then been hanging on the cross for six hours. As they chanted the cords of death, entangle me. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death for his righteous ones. Open for me the gates of righteousness. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. This is the Psalms that they're singing. This tradition that has been carried on for 1300 years. Blood flowing out. These lambs on these hooks as they skin them. Arms spread wide. As Jesus on the hill, the lamb they selected, has died for them. What an incredible thing. Directives given down through this oral tradition. And Jesus enters Jerusalem on this lamb selection day. He was chosen by the people, even though they didn't understand. And four days later, he died on a hill, the lamb slain for all our sins. What an incredible thing. And the covering of His blood is what saves us from the death we are all due. It doesn't matter, just as we talked about earlier, it doesn't matter who you are, what your, what your creed is, who you know, any of these other things, it doesn't matter because ultimately the only thing that can save us is the blood of the Lamb that covers us. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5-7 that Christ is our Passover Lamb and He has been sacrificed. Christ is our Passover Lamb. I was I've been thinking about the people that were in the crowd that day when Jesus went viral, coming in on Palm Sunday. The people that saw him riding in. There were different people in that group, and as I read the story in the different Gospels, I realized there's different, so many different groups represented, and it's really well illustrated in the Gospels. Um, first, the first group I noticed were there were the dedicated. They were with Jesus from the beginning. They were the OGs. These were these were the ride or die. Three years they'd been with Jesus. They had followed Him. They had been to two other Passovers before this. They knew who Jesus was at, at a level. They still had some, some misunderstanding. But they said, we are going to give up everything to follow Jesus. They, they, they left their nets and their, their tax collecting and their livelihoods. They left their families and they said, I'm leaving it all behind for what you promise and what you hold Jesus. They were the committed ones, and they are the ones that started this lifting their voices in praise, and 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 they 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 followed Jesus. But then there was another group that is kind of you see in this in this uh, group. They, there's this group that I would call the hungry or the desperate. They're the ones that saw the miracles. They saw what was going on. A lot of this um, a lot of this crowd had seen Lazarus be raised from the dead. Did you know Lazarus was raised from the dead literally just a day or two before this happened? Lazarus had been raised from the dead in Bethany. They seen Je- had seen Jesus raise the dead. This is his last miracle before Passion Week. And they go, I need that. I need that. Look what it says in John 12. It says, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. They were desperate. They wanted miracles. They, there were people in the crowd. They saw things and they said, I have things that I want to see brought back to life. I want to see the dead brought back to life. I want to have new, new, I want to see change happen. I want to see new rulers. I want to see new purpose. I want to see salvation. For some, it was political. For some, they wanted to see salvation from Rome. That when, when Jesus came into Jerusalem and it was on Passover, they're looking back and they go, we've been captives in Egypt, we've been captives in Babylon, God has brought us out of those things, when he brought us out of Egypt, that was on Passover, I bet this is it, I bet he can do it, if he can raise the dead, look what he could do with an army, we'd be invincible, we could do this, save us, and so they're the desperate, they're looking for answers, it could be a variety of different ways and different things that they're looking for, but they're trying to experience this power of the Savior that is there, and they're desperate for answers, but they're looking for it within a context that they can understand, they're looking for it within a context that they can grasp. Or that they want. They're coming with their agenda. The other group I see in this are the curious. There's the curious. In Matthew 21 it says the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. And there's people asking, who is this? Who is this? And the crowds replied, it's Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I don't know, have, have, have any of you ever been in a situation where you're caught up in something, you didn't go in with a plan of being caught up in it, uh, you didn't know anything about it, and suddenly you're just caught up with it. It could have been a sporting event, maybe you went to a game, someone's like, you should come to this, and before you know it, you're cheering, you're going crazy. I, when I, I lived in California for a while, and uh, we went to uh, one of the piers, Santa Monica Pier and we were just walking around and there was a film being made on the Santa Monica Pier they had the big cameras and the boom and the crew hundreds of crew people and there was this swell of people wanting to watch and I got caught up in it and before you knew it I stood out there for hours watching this movie I don't even know the name of it I don't even know if it came out, if it made it, I don't know. But I was caught up in it because I was just there and I was excited about what was going on. I was curious. And in this crowd, there was the curious going, what's going on? They're getting pulled along with the crowd. And they're going, I want to know about this Jesus maybe? Does anyone know? Can someone tell me? And they're just wanting to figure it out. Is this something worth my time? Is this something that that actually is going to make a big difference in my life? And they're, 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 they're curious about it wanted to know more information and then the other group that we see here are the cynics in luke 19 we read this it says but some of the pharisees among the crowd said teacher rebuke your followers for saying things like that there were people in the crowd that were the religious elites right they felt like they had everything figured out they had corner on the market why would i need anyone else's outside help I've got it figured out with God I've got this whole thing figured out I'm doing things on my terms I'm a good enough person and even if there is a God or even if Jesus is his son I don't want or need him and and we like to think that often we don't need outside help the other day I was uh, I was at the dentist and I was sitting there in that very luxurious chaise lounge and, uh, and, and it had a uh, the, the connecting thing with the big spotlight on you and, uh, and the tray over here and the uh, hygienist had to step out for a while and it was quite a while. I was sitting there for a while and uh, and I was looking at the tray and it has the uh, the little tool on there that has the bendy hook that, that makes your gums bleed and then there was another one that has like a slightly different bendy hook that also makes your gums bleed and, uh, and I was looking at those and then they had a tiny little mirror on a stick and I was like, I could maybe do this myself and get out of here. Like, how hard is a cleaning? I could, you know, I got a mirror even. I could maybe make this work. I didn't do it, by the way. I didn't do it. But uh, as ridiculous as it sounds for me to say, why won't I do my own dental work? As ridiculous as it sounds to say, why would I trust anyone more than myself, right? I know me better than, I, than anyone else knows me. God knows you better than you know yourself. Just as it's completely ridiculous to say, I'm just going to fix my own uh, health issues, my own dental issues. I'm just going to heal my... It's, it's the same to say to God, I'm just going to heal my own broken soul. I'm just going to do this myself. The Bible call, In the Bible, um, Jesus says that, uh, that I didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. And he's illustrating himself as kind of a doctor. We've referred to him as the great physician. And Jesus is saying, um, I am here to help you heal your soul. I am here to help mend what's broken. And today I can tell you, Jesus can physically heal you. He is capable of healing your body if you have a broken body. But even more so, he wants to heal your soul. The thing that will last forever. Will you trust him with your soul? The thing is, though it requires honesty, in the same way you wouldn't want to go to a doctor that just wants to tickle your ears. Just you know, you wouldn't want to go to a doctor that says, "Well, everything looks great." When you have serious issues, in the same way, we need to let Jesus give us the honest look and say, "This is where you need me." Um, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is uh, critiquing a church and he says, "You say that I need nothing. You say that I I am all that I have and I am rich." He says, "But look at you. You're naked and blind and wretched and poor." Come and get counsel from me. I've got gold refined in the fire. I will give you everything you need. You can't do it yourself. And so there's these critics on the outside that that, that just shake their head at Jesus and say, I think I've got this figured out and I definitely don't need you. And there's these four groups in this crowd. And the truth is, I was thinking about this, we all, everyone in this room, no one excluded fall into one of those categories every one of us will fall into one of those categories we're all in the Palm Sunday crowd you in this room today are in that crowd you're one of those people either A you're the committed you said I've left everything to follow you Jesus I've left everything to follow you, Jesus. Or B, you're you're hungry, you're desperate, you're looking for answers. You're going, whatever it is, I'm grasping for it. I've heard there's a miracle worker. I've heard there's someone that can bring dead things back to life. I need that. Or maybe you're curious. You're going, I just am trying to figure out who this Jesus is. I need to know what's going on. What's the the hubbub about? 2,000 years ago he was around? Why are we still gathering in churches? Why are people giving their lives away? Why is someone getting on an airplane and flying to India for a year to serve and to tell people about Jesus? What's the deal? Tell me about this. Maybe you're the curious. Or maybe you're the cynic. You say, I don't need that. Whatever you're trying to sell me, I don't need it. I got this myself. I don't need it. Jesus came... On Palm Sunday, he rode on a donkey. I got to tell you, that's not exactly the corvette of animals right there. He came in riding on a donkey. And this was actually the same way that Solomon entered when he came in as king. And it was coming in as a sign of peace. Saying, I'm not coming in as a conqueror. I'm coming to make peace. Peace between men and God. Jesus came to give us hope to actually know God. This is the same sign that Zechariah prophesied about. And the book of Revelation, though, here's the deal. Jesus came 2,000 years ago on a donkey, but the book of Revelation says that one day Jesus will return and he won't be riding a donkey. He's going to be riding on a white horse. He's going to be riding on a white horse and it says that he is going to bring judgment and his kingdom is going to come with force. He's going to come with power. Evil is going to be dealt with. Brokenness and sin are going to be forever destroyed. But here's the deal. God is a just God and He's going to bring justice. And wherever you stand, you need to be right with Him. Because that at that time, there's going to be no changing of direction. At that time, He is going to be here as King and Lord of all. And we need to be in the right place before Him. But God wants to give us every opportunity possible to come to Him. The Bible says that He is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want you to die and be separated from Him. He is doing everything to draw you back to Himself. That is why He died. In Hebrews 9, it says that there is a time, however, appointed for all men to die. We will live once, YOLO, and then we will face judgment. We will stand before God. One day... Sometimes we feel invincible. I will stand before God. You will stand before God. And in that moment, when we are held into account, how will He judge us? What's the metric for good enough? Is there some person out there that's like the median good good enough person, and then the rest of history is kind of divided on each side? You're like Hitler's easily on that side, but who's the middle person that's like everyone on this side? We're good enough to go to heaven. There is no median bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of god's glory you see there's no cosmic scale that we just try to put enough good stuff on so that we can get to heaven who could even know what that is the truth is one sin is enough to separate us from god but jesus came to give us forgiveness in life that through his holiness his righteousness we can have access to the father and this is why he came jesus didn't come to make bad people good he didn't come to make good people a little better. Jesus came to make dead people alive. He came to give me life. Yes, there is sanctification that happens. Yes, we become more like Him, but He wants to give you life. He's not here for some sort of, uh, you know, just character development program. He wants to give you life where you feel dead. Salvation is here today. So today, I want to say that we celebrate the salvation that's been brought when Jesus came in on Palm Sunday. What a wonderful thing. That day that that he came out on Lamb Selection Sunday and though they didn't realize it, they said, here is our lamb. Here's the one. Save us, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. And four days later, he died and he bled as they were going through their rituals and they missed it. But today, I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes together before we close? Jesus is just as relevant today as he was then Jesus is just as present today as he ever was and you might be in this room and you might be trying to distract your mind to not think about how Jesus is pulling at your heart right now but right now engage with it wrestle with it One day I will stand before you, God. And I need to know that eternity has been set and secured as I have put my faith in you. Not living life on my own terms like I can set up my own situation, but God, that you came to make things right between me and you, Jesus, and I give you my soul today. So right now, as we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to invite you. If you've never given your life to Christ, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to be able to say, on Palm Sunday in 2022, I gave my heart to Jesus and life has never been the same since. And I want to give you that opportunity. So if you've never given your heart to Jesus, or maybe you've been running hard and fast in the other direction, and it's time to reevaluate and come back and say, I repent, God. I need you to forgive me. If that's you in this room with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, this is between you and God. And you are ready to give him your heart and follow him and make him your king. I want you to raise your hand and raise it high. Raise it high. Yes, I see that hand. Who else? Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Right now, church, we're going to pray together. And this is not a magical prayer. This is a prayer that's words that illustrate a heart process. The Bible says that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord and when we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, then we will be saved. So right now, we are going to do that. Confession with our mouth. We're going to believe in our heart. So repeat this after me. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that You are the Son of God. I believe that You came to die for me. I believe that you took my sin and you forgave me and gave me me a new hope. Where I've been lost, you found me. And so now I surrender myself to you. You have my heart. You are my king. You are my Lord. You are my savior. From this day forward, I pray. In your name. Amen. I encourage you, if you raised your hand or you meant to raise your hand or maybe you just have questions, will you mark on your connection card at the end of the service here, Pastor Ty is going to come up. When we do our connection cards, will you mark on there that you gave your life to Jesus because we want to connect with you to give you the tools of what it means to follow Jesus from this day forward. Because now we're on a journey, right? It's not just a momentary event, but now we start the walk. When Peter and John and the disciples were called by Jesus, they didn't say... Uh, I will follow you the rest of my life and just continue on with their life. No, it changed the course of their life. This is a course changing moment and we want to help you in that journey. Um, We've got an amazing class that meets Sunday mornings at 9.30. They're actually meeting right now that walk through what it means to be baptized, what that means for you, what it means to go and follow Jesus the rest of your life. So let us know on your connection card that you've decided to follow Jesus. Um, Thank you for doing that. Right now, I just want to encourage you. Today... Let's celebrate the salvation that we have. Amen? Let's celebrate that Jesus is here. Let's praise our victorious King for all He's done and that He has come to rescue and ransom us. And let's pray for our unsaved loved ones. The ones that have missed the Lamb. Maybe, maybe they are in this crowd. Maybe they've been curious. Whatever it might be. Let's intercede for them. Let's pray that God would, would have a moment with them. I am excited about seeing our church grow. I'm not a church numbers person. I, 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 don't, I don't live and die by the, the numbers. But can I tell you something really exciting? Last Sunday, wasn't a special Sunday. It was an, an April Sunday. But we had the largest attendance we've had in the last year last Sunday. It's exciting. Our church is growing. But can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? I don't want church transplants. I don't, I, if you came from another church, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I will hope that you grow with us. But that's. I am looking for people to come to salvation that have never known Jesus before, to be grafted into the vine here and to grow with us. I am, I'm grateful for those of you that have found a church home. Maybe you've moved. Maybe something brought you here. Welcome. But I want to see this place filled with new believers that are starting to understand their faith for the first time. That's what my heart is. And that doesn't happen overnight, and I realize that, and I want to see us continue to grow in this. So let's pray for our unsaved loved ones. But right now, church, before Pastor Ty comes, I want us to stand together, and we are going to quote Psalm 118, that's that's there, that they would have been saying on this Lamb Selection Day and on Passover. So let's let's repeat this prayer where they would have been saying, Hosanna. Let's say this together. Ready? Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, Please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We
1: bless you from the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Well, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat one more time. Uh, this is one of my favorite parts of the gathering because we're going to do some spiritual rhythms that we do on a weekly basis. The first one is filling out our connection cards. And I was thinking about this and, and you know, wondering, like, why is this important? What do we do this for? How many of you guys have ever journaled before, like written stuff down? And you find, or maybe somebody that you were close to, you find their journals and you look back. And this is kind of cool to see what happened, you know, see their day. Uh, for me, that's been Facebook memories. You guys know what that is? It's like where it'll take you back and it'll show you what you posted on that day years ago. And I like it because it's really embarrassing and I get to delete those posts. Like, it's like, oh, look, there's 18-year-old Ty with long hair and no beard. Like, that's disgusting. Like, what's going on here? You know, I'll post some weird stuff. But it's fun to to look back on fond memories and see the cool stuff that happened. I think it's a spiritual thing because all through the Old Testament, you see God tell people to stack rocks. And he says, I want you to stack these rocks so that when future generations walk by, and you know, the kids are like, Dad, why are those rocks So You can say, that's to remind us of when God did this. Or when the prophets would speak and God would say, write this down so that other people in the future will remember. When we write down our connections card, part of it is to remind us that one day we're going to look back at this time and thank God for what he walked us through. Thank God for how he grew us. Thank God for the hardships that he walked through with us. Thank God for the blessings that he poured out in our lives. And we're going to look fondly saying, God, thank you. We as people, we forget a lot. Ask my wife. She'll tell me something 30 seconds later. She's like, what I say? Who knows? I don't know. We as people, we forget things a lot. And this is an awesome opportunity for us to remember what God's done in our life. So if you're here, uh, if you're here now sitting, I just want to encourage you, let's grab our connection cards. We have the online version. Uh, You can scan that QR code or there's the uh, tangible version in front of you in the seats on the pieces of paper, but let's fill it out and thank God for what he's done in our life so that we can look back and be blessed by how God works. Secondly, as our ushers get ready to come forth, we're going to take our tithes and offerings. I love that God gives us an opportunity to put action behind what he does in our hearts. I don't know about you guys, but uh, lofty things are cool to talk about, but I like to take action. I'm like, that's great. What does that mean? What should I be doing? And I love that we end our service in a way that's like, okay, God, I thank you for what you're saying. Now I get to apply it and live it out. This is part of that. This is part of our worship. This is part of us coming before God with our obedience. And it's beautiful. So we're going to pray. We're going to pass around the buckets. And I just encourage you, if you've never been a giver or tither, make this your week. Trust God. Take that step and see what he'll do in your life. God, right now, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for how you've worked, how you've shaped us with your word. I pray for those that have come here that don't know you yet, God, that you just begin to continue to change their heart. God, I thank you that everybody here that knows you is because you stepped out first. Your scripture says you took our heart of stone and you gave us a heart of flesh. God, that when we were your enemies, that you came and you I thank you that even in actions and words, God, you set the example first. I pray as we uh, fill out our connection cards, as we give our tithes and offerings, that we would just be blessed and encouraged knowing that you are working on our behalf. We thank you for this and so much more. In your name we pray. Amen. So as the ushers are passing those around, I have some good news and some bad news for you guys. Do you guys want me to start with some bad news? We'll just rip off the band-aid. So the bad news is that our uh, uh, shaved ice truck had some unavoidable delays so they're not here yet. But the good news is they will be here later today so I just want to encourage you um, come back come join us for some shaved ice after our second gathering but the good news is our cafe has some free cake and ice cream uh, cake and donuts for you out in the cafe So make sure you grab some of that on your way out. Let's go ahead and stand. I'm gonna bless you guys and we're gonna kick you right out the door. You got to know I think for who you are. I thank you for this people. I thank you that as we go through this week, we are remembering what you've done. That we remember you came and started your kingdom. That you came and humbled yourself. And God, that you're coming back as our conquering Savior. That you conquer sin and death. That you bring justice. That one day every knee will bow. And God, we look forward to this. We thank you. We love you. In name we pray. Amen. And we will give you glory,
0: bring you honor. King of all peace, you deserve our everything. We will lift our faces with your praises. Jesus, you are. Jesus, Jesus, you are.